1: we create good health on a community level, we'll be in a far better position to contend with crisis when it comes.
0: Welcome back to What The Fundraising. I'm your host, Mallory Erickson, and this podcast is for impact leaders and change makers who are looking to fundamentally change the way they lead and fundraise. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Donor Perfect today, I'm interviewing Daron Krakow. Daron is the president and CEO of the JCC Association of North America. With over 30 years of experience in Jewish organizations, Daron has been instrumental in leading the JCC Association through significant change since 2017. Darone delves into his current work with the JCC, sharing insights into the strategies and initiatives that helped him transform a vast, venerable grassroots organization like the JCC into a fundraising and programming operation that has now generated over $23 million. We explore the importance of building solid relationships and how he leveraged the transformative power of philanthropy to drive meaningful impact and change in the organization. And this was no small change. The JCC is a century-old organization which serves 160 Jewish community centers and 13 Jewish community camps that until two years ago had a very narrow mission of providing training to its member JCCs. It subsisted on member dues and did no other programming or fundraising fast forward to today, and it's a very different landscape and organization. There is so much inside this episode about change management, fundraising vision, and how to shift relationships with community members to drive impact. So let's dive in so you can meet Daron. Welcome, everyone. I am so excited to be here today with Derone Krakow. Derone, welcome to What The Fundraising.
1: Mallory, thank you. It's great to be with you.
0: I'm very excited for our conversation today and to dive into all of your current work with the JCC. But let's start with you just sharing a little bit about you. What brought you to the nonprofit world in the first place? What ultimately brought you to the JCC, and what has your experience been there like?
1: Well, I began my career in the corporate sector. I'm a finance guy who made a start at IBM doing mainframe systems planning, so I'm almost as far away from the career path I thought I'd be on as uh, one can get. I took a one-year leave of absence relatively early in my corporate career to be part of the youth movement that I grew up in. They were looking for an interim executive. It was a short-term gig. My executive at IBM offered me the chance to take a one-year leave, and he'd hold the job for me. That was 20-something years ago already, so I found myself doing work that struck me as being much more meaningful and provided me with an opportunity to sort of have an impact on much more significant things than I thought I was having as a relatively recent MBA graduate at a gigantic corporation. So It was a journey that I didn't anticipate, but one that has taken me uh, in the ensuing years from the youth movement world uh, to the Jewish Federation world, where I spent a number of years heading the department of an organization responsible for overseeing the distribution of about $400 million of Jewish communal funding every year in support of uh, Jewish community needs in Israel and around the world. Uh, I did uh, a stint as the representative of one of Israel's major universities here in the United States for 10 years, which was principally driven by raising money and profile for the university across the 50 states. And then six years ago, I had an opportunity to come to my role here at JCC Association of North America, which is something very different than anything I had done before, uh, but that has allowed me to draw on the most significant experiences I've had in several of the prior stops in order to try to achieve things here that uh, had been previously considered unachievable.
0: Mm. Wow. What an incredible career you've had. Um, It's amazing hearing about what brought you to your current position. And it sounded like to me, so I was active, not super active in the JCC growing up, but certainly did activities there. I was very active in my synagogue and youth group and some of the other youth programming that was happening out here in the JCC or in the, in the East Bay of California through the Federation primarily. And I was really interested to learn that when a few years ago, the JCC underwent a pretty huge transition, which sounds like a transition that a lot of nonprofits or association models are in the midst of perhaps considering or maybe even in the trenches of. And it sounds like your leadership really stewarded the organization from going from more of a training organization to an a fundraising organization, but I might have that wrong. So can you talk to us about what the transition of the organization has been like over the last few years? What did it used to look like and what does it look like today?
1: Sure, with pleasure. First of all, it's always great to speak to somebody whose life was touched by a JCC. It's true for so many of us in the communities that we grew up in. I grew up in northern New Jersey, have been connected with the same JCC essentially my whole life. And JCC Association is the umbrella organization for 170 JCCs across Canada and the United States. Uh, And if it hasn't been said, it shouldn't go without saying that a Jewish community center is a lifelong opportunity for encountering all kinds of activities within a Jewish context, everything from early childhood education to programs for seniors, to health and wellness to arts and culture, programs in Israel, formal and informal education, you name it. The community center is the place theoretically where you will find your point of contact. And when I came to JCC Association, it was largely emblematic of what I would call a lot of central agencies for sector-wide organizations, whether in a religious context, congregational movements, or a Jewish federation context, uh, outside the Jewish community in the uh, the YMCA context, uh, the United Way, there's a central agency. Its job is to do things in support of the local agencies. Uh, and then there are a myriad of independent and autonomous local agencies who are working on a voluntary basis to be part of something larger than themselves. And a lot of those sectors historically have funded themselves on the basis of some sort of an assigned dues or membership level for each local affiliate. Based on the size of its budget, it would get assigned uh, the amount that it would contribute in support of the central agency's operating budget. And so we were funded, like most of central agencies have been over many years, with some combination of this dues revenue, program income, that we brought from uh, activities and initiatives that we ran, whether it was conferences or training programs. And we also run the JCC Maccabi Games, which is a continent-wide Jewish teen Olympics that we do every summer with thousands of kids. And there's an array of other programs that we run. But we were disproportionately dependent on the membership funding that came from local. Affiliate agencies for many years. And the model was a little tired, and not everybody chose to be affiliated. And uh, that certainly limited our ability to impact them and to help encourage, motivate, and incentivize them to do the things that we collectively believe would strengthen uh, the Jewish communities that they serve with such dedication. What the Jewish community has, and not just the Jewish community, thanks to cultural norms here in the United States, is an extraordinary commitment to philanthropy and to the supporting of charitable causes by individuals and foundations that have significant resources. JCC Association did not traditionally work with those sources of funding. We had another model for how we resourced ourselves. We weren't divorced from those sources of fundings, but the only times we successfully engaged them were when members of our own board also happened to be players in the philanthropic community. So they would frequently be supportive of us as part and parcel of their work. But it was an insider's game. And as a result, again, we were disproportionately dependent on sources of income that were subject to the ebbs and flows of the times, of the economy, of interest and participation. And I came here having spent 10 years in the world of major gifts philanthropy. Uh, You don't generate support for a university overseas without helping to impassion people who believe that the mission of that university is worthy of their investment and their support. Uh, and so I had the good fortune over those years which, uh, in which we did some very effective work to have relationships with some of the very significant funders who share a passion for things going on here in the organized Jewish community. Uh, and when I got here, the leadership and I came to an agreement that if we were going to become what we aspired to be, we had to be a major producer of resources for the field and not primarily a consumer of resources from the field, and we had to elevate our image, our reputation, our perception in the eyes of the wider Jewish community, and significantly in the eyes of Jewish philanthropies so that they would understand we are a partner in a medium through which they can give expression to their greatest philanthropic hopes and dreams. So there were two things that were happening here. Number one, we needed to reinvent our self-perception as a great opportunity for philanthropy and one that's going to be devoted with time, resources, and energy to the pursuit of philanthropic relationships. And number two, Mallory, we're not a new game in town. Uh, JCC Association's roots go back to 1917, and that notably, was the fourth attempt to create a central agency for what were in those days called YMHAs, Young Men's Hebrew Associations. But we've been in the business of Jewish community centers since the 1850s. And yet, we were not on the active consciousness of major philanthropy, and we were not on the active consciousness of the wider Jewish community. So undertaking to reintroduce ourselves to them in a way that they would find compelling and of interest And then beginning to cultivate and pursue those relationships in the direction of great partnership has been the work that we've undertaken in the last five, six years.
0: Okay. I think what you're talking about is so important because I think there are a number of organizations for different reasons set up their relationship with individuals in their community in one way and then get to a point where they really need to shift in certain ways, their identity and their relationship with those individuals. And I've watched a lot of organizations over the years, who perhaps were funded out of seed funding for three years, for example, from a foundation. And so they didn't do any individual fundraising, right? They were fully supported through this foundation, they've built a network, they've built a community. And now all of a sudden, they're realizing, we need to change how people relate to us, we need to help them understand that we actually are a place for them to invest in a different way and build a different type of relationship with us. And so I want to talk about how you did that, because I can already imagine all of the limiting beliefs that can come up when you start to think about this. So when you first started this undertaking, maybe even start with like, what were some of the concerns that folks had around trying to build new types of relationships with your community members?
1: It's a great question. And what I think is notable uh, is that I had undergone the same, I would call it awakening with regard to the opportunity of JCCs and JCC associations. So, uh, you know, I mentioned earlier that I uh, grew up near a JCC and I went to JCC day camp. I've never been terribly involved at that level. And To the surprise of many, I never worked at a JCC uh, in the course of my entire career, not for a summer, not part-time, and certainly not part of my full-time not-for-profit career. So when the opportunity to be part of the search for this job came up, I declined. Because my feeling was, this is a job that should be done by somebody who's from the field, who should be the champion of their field. But on further reflection, and with the encouragement of a good friend to whom I feel a great deal of gratitude, I dug in to find out what it was that makes this place such an extraordinary opportunity. And it changed my mind about what JCCs were about. Because I think I probably would have said JCCs are kind of jewish light and uh, they are open to the entire community so they're not they're not uniquely jewish enterprises and you know they're a nice complementary part but not a passion project for me and then i discovered a few things that completely changed my mind number 1 jcc's welcome a million and a half people through their doors every week in person a million and a half visitors a week in a jewish communal context That's extraordinary and unrivaled. Number two, a million of them are Jews. A million Jews a week of every background, every age, religious disposition, political identity, personal identity. It is a smorgasbord, a cross-section of engagement with Jewish life. Nobody's got it. And in addition, a half a million of our friends and neighbors from outside the Jewish community also come every single week to do something that they might be able to do elsewhere, but they prefer to do in this particular Jewish setting. There are more people in the communities we serve who encounter the Jewish community at a JCC than in any other Jewish institutional organizational setting, which means we have unique responsibility as a community relations enterprise. Uh, We are also the largest organizer of Jewish camps in North America, more than 150 Jewish day camps, more than 24 overnight camps. We are the largest provider of Jewish early childhood education in North America with 35,000 kids. We're the largest employer in the Jewish community, over 36,000 full and part-time staff year-round, plus the summer staff. And I rattle off this litany of data points to reflect the fact that if somebody like me had an inclination to do good, in the organized Jewish community, and who believe that we could do better than we're currently doing, there's no better place to be than the place that touches more people and interacts with more lives. And if it's not a panacea today, then maybe it can be something far more impactful and significant than it's been. That got me in the door. And so, to be honest with you, that's the conversation I started to have with foundations and with funders. I would say to them, what do you think about JCCs? And they would say, I don't really think very much about them. They're a little (laughs) Jewish light, and there are so many people from outside the Jewish community. It's not my interest. And my answer to them would be, well, that's exactly how I felt six months or a year before uh, when the conversation with me began. Let me tell you why I feel differently about it now. And there hasn't been a single funder or potential funder that hasn't said, I never thought of it that way, prepared to continue the conversation with you. Let's think about what we might be able to do together. And, and I don't want to give the wrong impression that suddenly, you know, the golden gates opened and people are raining funding down. <laughs> on us. It doesn't work that way, as you know, in major guest philanthropy. It's a, a marathon and not a sprint. But as a result of the fact that a lot of these significant players were ready to see us in a different light, we began A large number of conversations, that circle continues to grow, and we have made demonstrable impact. But we've made a demonstrable impact both in the degree to which we are now seen as a beneficiary partner of major funders, and we are producing more money for the field than we are consuming from it. And as a result, we have increasing influence, leverage as a resourcing partner to help jccs that may want to do things that uh, we would like for them to want to do but couldn't resource it on their own and therefore are putting them in a position to be a more impactful entity in the communities that they serve.
0: Okay, I love hearing that journey. I'm curious, you know, one of the things that that strikes me about how you talked about the timeline or the time it takes to really build those relationships is that I can imagine that you were under some financial pressure while you were having to show a lot of restraint around not going for the quick wins and really investing time and energy into building these relationships in the right way. And people come to Major gift conversations from, from all over the place. But I know that a lot of executive directors who are struggling are in a place of feeling desperate for resources. And it can be very hard then to have that, that self control sort of to say, okay, I know I need to be, I need to take time here. I need to invest in this relationship. I need to make sure I'm really Explaining what this looks like without going for some like quick wins over email that confuses everybody because it's the first time they've ever been asked for money in that way from an organization. So, can you talk to me a little bit about how you navigated that? How you navigated that with your team and maybe even your board to be able to to do this right?
1: Sure. Uh, look, first of all, I think it's worth reflecting a little bit on what I would consider my approach to work in fundraising in general. For a long time in my not-for-profit career, I didn't want anything to do with it. I believed that fundraising was about a slick pitch and a handout, and it didn't feel dignified to me. I I was into community building and educational initiatives and uh, support for social service and human service causes around the world. The last place I wanted to be was walking around trying to prime my pitch and uh, figure out how to be smooth and putting my hand out. And I didn't realize till I took the job working with Ben-Gurion University, that actually isn't what it was about at all. And in fact, whether I had known it or not, I had been doing fundraising related work since my first day in the field. You know, if you're in youth programs, summer camps, uh, travel and experiential programs, then you meet with parents and families and try to help them to come to the conclusion that the thing you would like them to send their kid to is worthy of their time, energy, and resources. And if you're in the Jewish community building uh, business working as I did in the federation system, then your goal is to convince federations to increase their allocations to critical projects and initiatives that are going on abroad that but for them would be compromised. So. Influencing others by helping them to see what you can see and offering them an opportunity to be part of it is what I've come to understand fundraising, particularly major gifts philanthropy, is all about. And rather than accede to the notion that fundraising is the not-for-profit alter ego to sales… I actually believe that major gift philanthropy is the not-for-profit alter ego, alter ego to high net worth private banking. You're talking about people who have resources and they are determined to put them someplace. And your job is to help them to see that they should make room for you in their portfolio because the return on their investment will meet or exceed the return that they may be getting anywhere else. It would be worth finding some space. And if they get that satisfaction, they're going to want to do more right? When when wealthy people are looking for a banker, they're looking for a financial return, places that they're going to invest their money. If they like what they see, they reinvest. And if they don't like what they see, they take their money and go elsewhere. But the beautiful thing about philanthropists, by definition, is that they're in the business of giving their money away. They are looking for opportunities that will satisfy them uh, in terms of the good that they feel, uh, the impact that they have, and the people with whom they get to work. So the reorientation here was about our understanding that the hopes and dreams that we have as a JCC movement are far beyond anything that we're going to be able to generate through the old model for resourcing ourselves. It was dues or program revenue, it will always be marginal and incremental to do better and basically treading water is going to take a great deal of time or energy. On the other hand, the coffers of Jewish philanthropy are full. Uh, They've only grown in the intervening years. So relative to the things that we hope we could get done, there are virtually unlimited resources out there for us if we can begin to create a connection. And that had to mean, uh, to come back to your question, that we were going to have to trade off instant gratification for more durable relationships and outcomes. And that was an early conversation I had with my board. We're not a hugely resourced organization. We have some endowed assets. Uh, We have some funds that we manage. Uh, And I discussed with them the need for us to say we are ready to absorb some early uh, financial impact, negative impact, as a trade off for the more durable and significant financial upside. Uh, And I have to say, I have been blessed with a remarkably supportive board. And by the way, a notably philanthropic board, many of whom have raised their commitment to create uh, the runway that we needed here in the intervening period. I have almost never been asked to limit my aspirations on the altar of challenges that we might've had in the budget, although we can have a whole conversation about the pandemic and uh, the impact on that, which nobody could avoid, but the knowledge that they and we believed that our goals and aspirations for two, three, five, ten 10 years from now are such, that we have to commit ourselves to their pursuit in a methodical and Mm -hmm. professional way. We had to build out our fundraising team. We had to strengthen our uh, data and information management capability. And we had to be prepared, as I said, to cover ourselves on the short term in pursuit of greater gains in the medium term. Uh, And I'm gratified to be able to tell you that there's been virtually no need ultimately to cover ourselves. It was simply The safety valve was there in the event that we needed to avail ourselves of it. But uh, those efforts have been de minimis to this point and the trajectory that we are on with regard to becoming a major partner of great philanthropy is a positive one. We're far from where we aspire to be, but we're also far ahead of where we were.
0: I really love hearing the way you tone set at the beginning of this entire undertaking with the board. I think there, and I hope for board members who are hearing this, I love hearing the support that you received in doing that, because I think there are the scarcity mindset runs deep inside our organizations and on our boards. And there are a lot of boards who, you know, regardless of actually how much money is in the bank or how many reserve, you know, how much reserve there is, don't want to see their impact report metrics for a year go down. And so they create a lot of pressure on executive directors and fundraisers when that faciousness that they actually need to be able to invest in those relationships, the mindset that they need to be able to prioritize the lo- those longer term relationships is what's going to ultimately get there. But then they find themselves scattered between these short term wins and building those long term relationships, And I think ultimately struggle a lot more to build what you're talking about.
1: Yeah, I think that's right. I also think it doesn't necessarily come reflexively that people say, you know what, let's invest in the uh, in the downturn at the moment in ex- in expectation it's an ongoing dialogue and conversation the people who serve on my board are veteran lay leaders they have uh, many of them have led local jcc boards or have been in other significant positions you know when i came into the job i arrived here following a period of some lesser stability in the agency i was the fourth ceo in 3 years which uh, tells you about as much as you want to know about how <laughs> firm the ground was that the organization was standing on. It was venerable, so there was never a doubt that it would overcome that period. Nevertheless, it was sufficiently troubling that the search committee and the board ultimately decided to offer the position to somebody who'd never worked in a JCC. And I think if things had been good, somebody like me never gets into the job. And I think if somebody like me doesn't get into the job, you don't necessarily get the benefit of what I would call the fresh set of eyes. The data points that I quoted to you was information that should have been widely known by this field, but almost nobody in the JCC field had any idea how big a thing they were actually a part of. They viewed themselves through a narrow local lens, and so they understood scale, but not in context. And so, number one, I arrived at a complicated time. Number two, I arrived where a board was ready to take a risk to do something other than what they had done before. And number three, I think that I brought immediate experience from my last position where I arrived in that job right before the Great Recession of 2008, where the revenues of that organization dropped by 40% year over year. And at the time, they had a novice fundraiser. Sitting at the top of an organization that was an important engine for investment in the university. And we then also had to say, we're going to invest in the dips. The market is down. This is the perfect time to invest more in certain things, and we're going to have to take some risk. And some wise people on that board and leaders of the university said, this is a roll of the dice that we need to take. Otherwise, we will be destined to remain a small player. And so a lot of this has to do with what our ambitions are. Do we aspire to be what we are now and maybe a little bit more? Or do we aspire to be something special, which means we're gonna to have to be substantially different. And then even in, an, in a century old agency like mine, we can imagine ourselves having influence and impact that's far greater than anything that we've enjoyed to this point. And looking around at other things that are happening on the wider Jewish communal landscape, you know, we're living at a time where people are participating less in most things. And JCCs enjoy this unique advantage that people are participating more in them, maybe because there's no huge expectation when you walk in the door. It's just being there for whatever you want to be part of. And yet, once you're there, you're enveloped in community. And because JCCs are such diverse programmatic settings, you may come for one thing and suddenly find yourself exposed to five other things. And in time and over the course of a life, you can really be involved in a whole life cycle of programs and experiences if that's going to be really important moving forward then we have to become a far greater version of ourselves than we've been in the past and in my opinion philanthropists are looking to be part of great things everybody wants to be part of a winner and they want to see scale they they want the ability to view the strategic horizon and sometimes even though you may have been hiding in plain sight when they discover you for the first time your imagination begins to run and so that's allowed us in the period of roughly 5 years to have increased funding that we're getting from the philanthropic community tenfold. It began modestly, but it has us believing that we can increase tenfold again in the next 5 to 10 years. And then you're talking transformational investment and impact across a very large sector.
0: It sounds to me like something you are incredibly good at is engaging people in vision. Like, it sounds like one of the things that has really brought people on board was sort of moving beyond the logistics of the programming that's happening inside a JCC to what it means for the JCC to be the. Overarching and connective tissue of the Jewish community. And I think what is striking to me about that is I hear a lot from fundraisers oh, well, we're not ready to raise money for that yet because we don't know for sure how this thing is going to work, right? They don't, they feel like they don't know the details and logistics of certain program expansion. And so they feel uncertain around engaging funders in the capacity building that really is necessary even for them to figure out those logistics. And so I'm wondering if you have any advice for folks around, it it sounds to me, and maybe I'm wrong, but that you ventured into this without complete clarity around all of these resources could ultimately do for the JCC, but you had a vision of what it could be. And that that was what got you started. Is that right?
1: I think that's reasonably accurate. I I would say it doesn't happen if I don't arrive into a board whose leadership has vision and that there wasn't already some very common ground. You know, one thing that I made clear when I came into the search is here's who I am. Here are the things that are important to me. Here's the way that I like to work. That has to be what you want for this to be a good match. But if you share a sense about those things and about those possibilities and we can dream together a bit, then I think we can have the kind of transformational impact that I know drew people to this work and this leadership to begin with. It's not something that people come to casually. That having been said, maybe because I came from outside the field, I believe this field was capable of things that it didn't necessarily see uh, as the natural Next step in its own evolution, that it was thinking incrementally. And the fact that I've had lay leadership and board members who were ready to think differently and more broadly, and who not only were receptive, but encouraged those efforts on my part and with the team that we built here. And, uh, you know, I came in inheriting a team that had worked exhaustively to serve a field during a difficult time, but they were weary. And we needed to renew ourselves in a way that would allow us to feel a greater sense of ambition and bring new energy to complement the best of the expertise that we already had uh, in house and now I'm uh, very proud to say that I think our professional team is of great quality and competence our board and lay leadership uh, to be part of. but at the end of the day, the proof has to be in the eating if you don't demonstrate that mm-hmm. you can start to deliver results then A good talk or a good vision or an agreed upon sense that this is the course that we're going to be on can't last because ultimately there are financial pressures and there is day to day. And and we have obligations. And I alluded earlier to the fact that, uh, you know, in the pandemic, which had challenges for everybody in every sector, Jewish community centers generate 80 percent of their revenue from the people who walk through the doors the users of the JCC, the kids in the programs, ticket buyers, tuitions, etc. When the pandemic hit, people stopped walking through the door, and we had no idea how long it might be before they were walking through at the same pace that they used to. And it's easy to forget now that the SBA and uh, Payroll Protection Program loans didn't happen straight away when the pandemic began, and the outpouring of generous philanthropy also didn't happen when the pandemic began. There were some moments of real existential concern about who was going to survive and how. And we look back now with a great deal of pride to say that not only did we manage to endure, I think we came through the pandemic stronger than we went into it as a field. But for a time, everybody had to cut their belts tightly. Our field separated 12,000 employees in the first weeks of the pandemic because we couldn't sustain the cost. And the parallel at JCC Association was that roughly 30% of our staff were furloughed. And so there were some moments where we were unsure about how things were going to go. And then JCCs were the first institutions in the Jewish community to reopen. They provided essential services, child care of various kinds, and meal programs for shut-in seniors and people with disabilities. And we became everybody's favorite partner in the communities that we worked, funders and day schools and human service and social service agencies and congregations and others whose own buildings were shuttered, but who could access ours because we needed to be open for essential services and created guidelines that would allow for safe operation. And we had manpower because even with our Diminished numbers. We were far and away the largest employer in the communities. And so we were in a position by working together to say our needs are secondary to the needs of the community. And three and a half years later, I can tell you that as a result, our profile rose. Our recognizability by funders and partners reached new heights. Uh, There was some level of self confidence that I think that emerged in leadership of JCCs and at the continental level, all of which served in certain respects to accelerate the progress that we had begun to make. And even though there were detours and speed bumps and various other things that might have happened differently if we were operating in a non-pandemic environment, (laughs) we learned a great deal about what what it means to row together within and across our sector, and what it means to row together with people who are adjacent, both program partners, but increasingly also funders. And so that path that we were on received a boost more quickly than it might otherwise have received.
0: Wow. Yeah, I can imagine that <laughs> just how much shifting had to take place when sort of all of the the frame of the house changed essentially. You know, something as you were talking that I thought about and I'm curious, I don't know how the JCC handles this in terms of its sort of marketing and outreach, but I feel like a lot of a lot of this conversation has been really positive about the role that the JCC plays in all of the positive elements of holding space for the Jewish community and the community at large. And it sounds like a lot of the fundraising that you did and and bringing people in was about envisioning this positive vision. And of course, we also know the Jewish community goes through a lot of really hard challenges and anti-Semitism has been on the rise. And I'm curious I, I think there's a ongoing conversation in the nonprofit space around how you prioritize the positive visioning and positioning of your organization and when and if you talk about the scarier, harder, bleaker realities. And I'm curious how you think about that and I was thinking about it particularly when you were talking about, sort of the story of COVID, I think there are a lot of organizations that during COVID didn't feel like they were saving lives that were being impacted by COVID and kind of paused their fundraising because they didn't believe that their work was dire. And yet we know that There are so many systemic issues and that it's never just one thing happening that people need support around. And so I feel like you've been navigating this space in the midst of, you know, international pandemic crisis, but also some crises within the Jewish community and have likely had to balance a lot of urgency with that visioning work. I'm just curious how you think about that.
1: Yeah, look, you're exactly right to say that it is a balancing act at times and the people that I've worked with, the people that have come to work with me, uh, certainly uh, people in uh, development roles, you know, I always encourage them as I as I remind myself to keep one eye on the work that's sitting right in front of me and one eye on the horizon because if you're only worried about the stuff that you're dealing with on a day-to-day basis, it's very hard to see beyond the moment. Of course, it was clear that the pandemic would eventually end and there would be a future for the work of building Jewish community and the work of JCCs. And therefore, we could never stop working on the future, even as we devoted whatever time and energy were required to help our constituents get through the crisis. Uh, And, you know, my tenure here has been marked by chapters. I arrived in 2017 during a period of bomb threats, which you may remember that in the first part of 2017, there were several hundred uh, threats that were phoned or emailed in to Jewish institutions, most of them JCCs that required evacuations and all kinds of panic. And thankfully, it turned out to be a disturbed person and not something that represented a real danger. But that was a crisis. And when that passed, we dealt with uh, the Masquerade Tree of Life, uh, which is really the preeminent example of this uh, growth of anti Semitism, this spike of uh, violent anti Semitism. And as we were assimilating the reality of what that meant, we ran headlong into the pandemic. And the pandemic brought with it social upheaval, right? The, the a tearing at the fabric of the society of the United States, and not only the United States. But uh, the question of division around identification and point of view and race and the things that came to the fore were the things over which we are divided. And the work of JCCs is about elevating the things around which we have common. So you walk through the door of a JCC, and the things you share with the other people inside the Jewish Community Center are more important than the things over which you might disagree. We became an anchor for the effort to continue to pursue what I would call the greater good for community Jewish and beyond the Jewish community. And that's as good a response to crisis of any of these kinds as I think you can come up with. Obviously, we spend a fair amount of time talking about growing anti-Semitism and uh, the Jewish community and others, by the way, very recently, the Biden administration are devoting tremendous time, energy, and effort to initiatives to confront and combat anti-Semitism. And the Jewish community, by the way, has been doing this for a long time. That's how the Anti-Defamation League was created. And the American Jewish Committee does work and Jewish Committee Relations Councils do work in these things. So everybody wants to know what are JCCs going to do with regard to these challenges And I think our answer is we're going to be better at what we're supposed to be, which is an engine for creating a stronger community for strengthening ties between the Jewish community and the wider geography that we serve. You know, I said early in our conversation that we're the biggest platform for engagement with the broad diversity of Jewish life in North America. I define that as being we are the Jewish community's town square and we're the biggest platform for the engagement of our friends and neighbors from beyond the Jewish community. That's our function as the Jewish community's embassy to the geographies that we serve. And we very proudly bear both of those responsibilities concurrently. I think the answer to your question is sometimes crisis is a lever for the purposes of strengthening campaign and raising money on the back of a challenge. That has not been the lever that we have pulled. Our efforts have been focused around aspiration, about growing and strengthening community. Uh, I think we know enough to know that anti-Semitism can't be defeated. It's thousands of years old, and it bubbles up here and there in all kinds of crazy times from all kinds of different directions. My belief is the best thing we can do to confront it is to be a stronger community. The stronger we are, the more cohesive we are, the more united we are, the more we can confront and withstand whatever happens. And we're pretty good at that. And we live in a society, thankfully, that's free and democratic. And With all the problems that we have, we have recourse here. So to me, it's not about anti-Semitism. It's about the need for a stronger, greater Jewish community and our work in pursuit of that. And when it comes back to the folks with whom we work on philanthropic partnership, I believe most of their philanthropic investment in us is aspirational in the same way that we aspire to something greater. And I don't think that there is another sector out there that has a better opportunity to deliver measurable satisfaction and impact, both because of the scale, but also no two JCCs are alike. Every community is a reflection of local circumstance and leadership. And so we bring the added advantage of having 170 laboratories for doing better. And we can identify things in one community or multiple that are provable and scalable uh, and will allow us to evolve. And just as importantly, we can learn about things that don't work in partnership with philanthropy, as ways of getting smarter and focusing in on those things that we have been able to develop together that are proven and therefore worthy of being scaled. And Philanthropy is looking for those opportunities because it's about strategic impact. The boutique things are nice, but they're small. Scalability comes when you can plug into a platform that has the ability to lift things on a far more expansive basis.
0: Thank you for sharing that. and I agree with your decision, I guess, to not um, build campaigns sort of on the back of crisis. And I actually think more than ever, actually, given how stressful the last few years have been for everyone, I think a lot of the tactics that we saw around that type of crisis, urgent fundraising, pre-pandemic, you know, I think there's always a question around what works. And I think there are things that, quote unquote, work in a short term fundraising campaign that don't work in terms of long term, really deep relationship building, sustainability, you know, building, building meaningful relationships. And I think even in the short term, we are seeing some of those tactics that used to work, work a lot less because people are overwhelmed. And it is hard to take action when you feel overwhelmed. And so I think focusing on that aspirational piece, it allows donors You know, nervous systems to get regulated and to get excited and to engage from that place just feels so much better for everyone. It doesn't mean we never talk about hard things, but I think, you know, I really appreciate you sharing how you think about that with everyone.
1: Uh, Thank you. You know, I, I think at the end of the day, it's easy to get stuck into the idea that we need a crisis around which to raise money on an ongoing basis and we don't want to be in search of crisis. I also believe that. If we create good health on a community level, we'll be in a far better position to contend with crisis when it comes. And by the way, you know, I'm, I'm, when you and I revisit this conversation in five years time or something along those lines, when you have a much broader set of relationships with funders who have joined in partnership around aspirations, then if, God forbid, there is a crisis you have a circle of friends and partners to whom you can turn and say, I know we don't usually work this way. Right now, we have an unusual crisis. I'm wondering whether we can rely on you now as a friend and partner to lend a hand in a time of crisis. And I think that's just a very different message than saying, I'm coming to you because I'm in crisis. And that's the way I engage with you. When you see me coming through your door, you know that there's a crisis walking into the room. And again, there are crises. And I'm not, uh, I don't want to suggest that They are not legitimate opportunities for philanthropic partnership and for fundraising. In fact, they are very compelling opportunities. But I think depending on what the nature of the not-for-profit is that we're talking about, if you're a not-for-profit that is bent on the pursuit of something aspirational that's not crisis-related, then it's very important not to fall into the trap of saying, yeah, but my fundraising is going to work better if I angle it around crisis, because I know people respond to crisis. They do. But I think that for so many funders and philanthropists, the chance to be part of something aspirational uh, is energizing and it's captivating. It has to bear out, you gotta deliver on the aspirations. But I think that the extent to which those resources are available across the not-for-profit sector is quite remarkable. And you know we have to remember that among the wonderful things that have evolved in this country is a national ethos of being charitable and being philanthropic, that that we have an entire sector of uh, American society, this uh, third sector or not-for-profit sector that is created on the basis of the fact that it will be funded largely by people choosing to contribute to it. And that is such a strong ethos that the government of the United States is willing to underwrite those contributions by allowing you to deduct it from your taxes. So, Uh, Would that there were more countries in the world that uh, had that same commitment. And with all of the things that we view as not necessarily being where they should be in this country, we should never fail to remember the things that are remarkable and that continue to enable us to believe that we can get back to being our best selves and maybe become something better still.
0: Yeah. Yeah. What a wonderful note to end this on. Thank you so much um, for this conversation, for giving us a peek inside your work over the last few years, and I think for giving a lot of nonprofits something to aspire to in terms of how they think about transforming their fundraising. I'm so grateful.
1: The pleasure has been mine. Thank you for the opportunity, and uh, it's delightful to meet you, Melody.
0: So nice to meet you, too. Okay, there is so much inside this episode, but here are the top things I'm double clicking on today. Number one, identify shared values and beliefs with your audience and speak to those in your content. Number two, focus on building connections and community rather than just raising funds or making transactions. We talk about this a lot on here. Number three, use micro details and specific language to make your messaging more impactful. Number four, You can always elevate your organization's image and reputation to the wider community and potential philanthropists. Just because you have been seen one way in the past, you don't have to get trapped in the narratives of that's just the way things are. You can always reintroduce your organization to critical stakeholders in compelling and engaging ways. Number five. Discover your organization's unique opportunities and impact by diving deep into its potential and understanding its reach within the community. Number six, sometimes you have to trade off instant gratification for more durable relationships and outcomes. It often takes restraint to stay the course and not go for the quick wins. And lastly, number seven, if you want to engage people in a vision, you need to build compelling narratives and stories, highlighting the breadth and depth of your organization's impact, emphasizing its role as a community relations enterprise, and a catalyst for positive change. Okay, for additional takeaways and tips inside this episode, head on over to malloryerickson.com podcast to grab the full show notes and resources now. You'll also find more information there about Jerome and our amazing sponsors, Donor Perfect. Thank you for spending this time with us today. If you enjoyed this episode, we would love it if you would give it a rating and review and share it with a friend. I'm so grateful for all of my listeners and the good hard work you're doing to make our world a better place. And if you miss me between episodes, stop by and say hello on Instagram under what the fundraising underscore. Have a great day and I'll see you next week.